We'll be in Romans chapter 11. And I'm going to give you a, a heads up. That was an ad on my uh, tablet. I was going to finish out the chapter. That was the plan. I, I put four verses in my notes, started working um, through the first verse, and that's as far as I made it. So, chapter 11, verse 33. When we read it, you'll see why. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we could open up your word here. I pray that you would give us understanding, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us knowledge this morning from your text, Lord, and that you would... Um, through your spirit, reveal your truth to us as you do, Lord. And we're so grateful for this, and I just pray that that's, that's what we're here for this morning, is to learn from you, and that we come to your text with a humility of mind and a fear of God. And we're just thankful that you do reveal your truth to your people. And I just ask this prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. So, by way of review, I'm not going to do a whole bunch of it, just that... Uh, we're, we're kind of closing up the doctrinal portion of Romans. Um, that portion, the last few chapters, has been Paul answering the question of what about the Jew. Um, and he's kind of concluded with the same way that he started Romans. Remember, he started Romans with the Jew and the Gentile being guilty before God. He concludes that the Jew and the Gentile would be still guilty before God if God wouldn't graft some back in. If God wouldn't have given belief to some. If God wouldn't have mercy, all would stand guilty before him. So he's kind of bookend his doctrinal portion of this book that way. And that's where we're at right here. Apart, This is like the closing portion is where we're about to step into. And unfortunately, I don't have any cool alliteration or anything on this one. I just have three points. Depths, the depth of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge is in Christ and what this does not mean <laughs> is the last point so the first point here is depth of wisdom and knowledge so Paul here in closing out his doctrinal portion of his letter he burst out in doxology um, if you don't know what doxology is it's just uh, it means to praise God so he goes from teaching us such great doctrine to worshiping of his great God and this is how doctrine should be. It should lead us to doxology, to praise of the great God of the doctrine. Or to put it like this, theology should lead to doxology. That the study of God should lead to the worship of God. That's what doctrine is intended to do. It's not to win debates or make us feel good about ourselves or for an intellectual exercise. It's simply a tool that we use to worship God better. To know more about Him will lead us to worship Him. And I don't just mean on Sunday mornings. We're to worship Him on Monday mornings. We're to worship Him on Thursday evenings. And starting the very next chapter here in Romans, Paul tells us how we are to worship Him on those days. By presenting your body as a living sacrifice. He says that's your reasonable worship. That's what the word actually means there. It's your rational worship. This is, it's reasonable to worship God in this way by laying down our lives for Him. Not just on Sunday morning. But let's not get too far of ourselves. We're not in chapter 12 yet. Paul burst out into this doxology. Why? Because of everything that we've learned over the last three years. Remember, though we are slow at expounding it over a three-year period, Paul didn't take three years to write this. Whether you know this or not, Paul actually didn't physically write the letter. It tells us in Romans 16 and verse 22 that Tertius wrote the letter. 
Tertius was the one with the pen in his hand. However, Paul dictated the letter. So Paul was speaking and Tertius was writing. So this letter is from Paul. The same way it would be if I were to say, if you just were just to write out my sermon. The sermon came from me. You penned it. The letter is from Paul. I bring this up to display that if it took Paul four or five years to dictate this letter, Tertius would have had to been with him the whole time. For four or five years, going everywhere that Paul went. So it makes better sense that Paul and Tertius sat down in a brief period of time and wrote this letter. And I say all of this to say, though we may have forgotten about what was taught in Romans chapter 3 and 4, it was still fresh on Paul's mind. The doctrines that have taken us years of diving into, he probably spoke forth in one afternoon. If not one afternoon, at least in a very short period of time. It was fresh on his mind. Everything was fresh on his mind. Let me ask you this. Have you, as a Christian, had one of those times of study that it was like God was revealing thing after thing to you? Where it was like, I've read this before, but today this stuff's coming together and it's all coming together perfectly. And it's like, how did I not see it before? I've read this chapter a hundred times. And everything comes together perfectly and at the end of your study, you feel like your mind is blown and all you can think about is God is awesome. That's what's happened to Paul right here. It's not only in this letter. I could cross-reference other letters where he does the same thing. But it's like in his mind, he started out with the sinfulness of man in chapters 1 through 3. Then he went through the justification of God's people in chapters 3 and 4. Then into our union with Christ in chapter 5, our being baptized into Christ and apart from the law in 5 through 7. Then he went into the fact that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, nor ever will be in Romans chapter 8. And that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus also in chapter 8. Then he walked us through the doctrine of election and reprobation in chapter 9. And how God saves His people in chapter 10. Then he concludes with the fact that God is grafting the Gentiles into the kingdom. And though the apostate Jews have been cut off, that it was not final and it was not total. And God is going to bring them back into His kingdom. And then it's like Paul's head explodes. I don't have anything else to say, but God is awesome. And the only words that can follow are doxology. Praise of God. Because it's clear from the doctrines that have been laid out that it in no way could come from the mind of man alone. Men hate those doctrines. That it had to come from the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Why? As he says, because his judgments are unsearchable and his ways are past finding out. Have you been there, Christian? Has this letter of Romans brought you here? I mean, at least in my studies of the book, I've been there multiple times. You can go back to and check out our sermons in Romans 8 and 9. You'll notice that for the most part, those sermons were about an hour to an hour and 20 minutes. Why? I can assure you it's because your pastor just doesn't like to talk a lot. It's because God hasn't given me enough words or time to expound the greatness of the doctrines found in this book. My vocabulary nor mind is big enough to dig out all the riches of God's wisdom in this book. I try my best, but the best of men are men at best. At the end of the day, however long we spend in this book, we will never completely dredge out all of his riches of wisdom and knowledge from the vast depth that they are in. It is not capable by man. Especially not capable of fallen man. This is why you probably, I've heard it said, you don't do a Bible study with an atheist. In the sense of, you know, the atheist is trying to put God on, on trial. If they, Well, what about this verse? What about this verse? I'm sorry, sir, I don't, do, I don't do Bible studies with atheists. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we'll have a Bible study. Fallen man is not capable of grasping the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Why? Because it says the fear 
of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if one does not know the Lord, he hasn't even begun to even wade into the depths. However, as a believer, we can dive deep into them. The word for depths here in our verse is the word bathos. Does this sound familiar? It means of the deep sea or deep water. You know, we take a bath. That's where we get our word from. And deep water. Metaphorically, it's used here, of course, right? There's, there isn't some real sea or deep ocean we can physically walk up to and dive in and gain wisdom and knowledge of God. But one of the ways the Scriptures is seen is like water. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, when, when speaking about Christ and His church, it says that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. The Word of truth by which He saves us. This is where we dive into to find the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's in the revealed Word. This is why when somebody asks, why do we spend so long in one book of the Bible, you can tell them so we can dive into the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We don't want to wade in, but we want to swim in. We want to be plunged into it. We want to go to the bottom of this ocean. We are not satisfied with just a surface knowledge of this wisdom and knowledge. We want to go down deep into it. It's been said the scriptures can be shallow enough for a child to wade into and not drown, but deep enough for an elephant to swim in it. That's what we want to be like. Yes, when we are young in the faith, we wade into the waters, the water of God's word, but the older we get, we ought to be swimming deep into the depths of his riches. We ought to be deep sea diving, if you will. One of the other pictures that Scripture gives us is similar to this, is that of food. When we are young in the faith, we crave milk. Just like the baby when they're born, they crave milk. But as we get older, we, we should be feasting on the meat of God's Word. So there should be a maturing in the faith, not a staying stagnant in knowing the things of God. Let me break it down a little more for us here. It says the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. This has two words in it which we can clearly see elsewhere. Wisdom and knowledge. And how shall anyone start this journey into knowing the wisdom and knowledge of God? Remember, it's a deep sea, but how shall we begin? We don't dive into the middle of it. You don't think scuba divers, they don't, they don't take them out. Oh, you never went scuba diving before? Here's a wetsuit, here's an oxygen tank, and throw you off into the ocean. They don't go like that. And that's not how you dive into God's Word. But Solomon can help us a little bit on this. He says, and I've already quoted it. Well, I already quoted part of this. In Proverbs 1.7, it says, that The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Proverbs 9.10, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Both words right here in our text. The depths are the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of both of those. That's where our journey starts at. We will never even begin this journey into the depths without a fear of the Lord. Here recently, we actually looked at this word fear. It's not a... It's a, it's a reverential fear. It's not a fear like I'm scared of spiders or snakes or something like that. It's a fear of standing before a king who can do with us as he so pleases. It's a reverential fear. So this is where our waiting begins. This is When I say waiting, it's just you know stepping into the water. I, I don't know if you all know what waiting is, but it's when you're just stepping into the water. The water's only this high. So that's where our waiting begins. It begins in the children's pool. That isn't deep enough for us to drown. I've often said it like this, and I still feel like this. If God would reveal everything to us at once, in a moment, it would either drive us mad or kill us. There's no way. There's no way he could go, boom, here's all of it. There's too much. And anybody who's been in the faith long enough knows this. Knows there's too much because even now, I've been in the faith 25 years, 20, 
what, 2023, 20, 24 years? I still read stuff and I'm like, I've never seen this before. I didn't know this. How is that possible? I would never do that with any other book. Even say, say you read the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You memorize the whole thing and know what everything means within a year. You never get that with this. Never. So we begin with the fear of the Lord. That's where our waiting starts in the children's pool. Now let me say this. That this fear of the Lord doesn't leave us. It's not like we start this journey that way and then afterwards we disregard it. It's not like, well, I, I, the, the journey began as fear of the Lord, but now that I'm you know, mature, now I'm older, I don't really have fear of the Lord anymore. It's something that doesn't lead us. Our whole journey is in the fear of the Lord. Remember also the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is at the very end of the book. Y'all know Ecclesiastes, everything's vain. Everything, your whole life's vain. But the whole conclusion of the whole matter, he says, is fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. At the end of his life. And I dare say Solomon had more than every single one of us in this room combined when it comes to worldly possessions. He had too much of some stuff. So we continue on in this fear of the Lord as we swim deeper into his wisdom and knowledge. And while we are swimming deeper, we will run into hard things to understand. We will see truths that go against everything that we've ever been ever heard or been taught. We will uncover precious gold and silver that no currency in the world is worth more than. We will also see things that we don't understand at all. They're too deep for us as of yet. And to quote one of the most famous theologians of our day, Dory from Finding Nemo, she said, just keep swimming. <laughs> don't give up because you don't understand as of yet. Keep digging into God's word. Keep reading. Keep studying. Keep meditating on his word on a regular basis. And I don't really like to use myself as an example, but I'll, I'll, I will right now on this. And I'm sure some of you are like this as well. When I come across something in God's word that I don't understand, for me, I have to know it. I have to understand it. I'm relentless in searching it out. I won't stop until my mind is settled. Sometimes this takes the form of reading 10 commentaries, Bible dictionaries, getting into the original languages. Sometimes this is praying and thinking on the things that I've already read and God reveals them. But I've had times I couldn't sleep and drove myself to sickness over doctrines. And that's probably not the healthy way to going about it. But I couldn't stop until my mind was settled. And I'm sure some of you in here can say the same thing. And often, as Reformed people, when we first come across the doctrines of grace, that's kind of what we're like. When I first thought, saw the doctrines of grace, when it was first presented to me, I thought there's no way this is true. I actually wrote a paper against it. But God would not let my mind rest because He would show it to me on every single page of Scripture. Every page I turned to in Scripture was there. I couldn't read the Scriptures anymore without seeing it. It was actually very frustrating to me. <laughs> but in the end, God's Word is true and we must bow the knee to it. So yes, there are deep, very deep things in the faith that you may not even have heard of yet. But when you do, get on your wetsuit and your oxygen tank and plunge into it. Because the riches you will find in God's Word far outweighs what this world provides. Let's move on to our next point. His wisdom and knowledge is in Christ. This right here is of the utmost importance. We're not searching for some esoteric knowledge and wisdom. It's not like there's some hidden wisdom that we're trying to search out. It's not some, I actually have the book in my house, it's a probably a heretical book, I would say. Um, 
But I have a lot of heretical books on my bookshelf at the house. It's called Bible Code. There's no Bible Code. If you remember from our look at the word mystery the other week, it's something that would remain concealed unless God reveals it. And He has. He hasn't hidden it in some code that you have to turn your Bibles upside down on this page and then, and then turn it sideways on this page and look at the original. And this one, actually, this letter in the original actually looks like a five, so that must be, I mean, it's a five. And then this word over here, that's the way that book is. But So I'd suggest never to have that book. But. God has revealed it. The wisdom and knowledge is found in Christ. It's not that we need another testament. It's not that we need some earthly priest to intercede for us in this wisdom and knowledge. God has given us, now this is a direct quotation from Peter, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. That's what He says. Through the knowledge of Him, He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have everything that we need in Christ. And as we're plunging into the depths of theology, Christ should be at the center of it all. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2 and verse 1. It says, For I would that you knew what conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. On the way here, I was listening to this song and it made me actually think about this. It says, God is His own interpreter. Does Paul not interpret that right there for us? The wisdom and knowledge, where is it? It says, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. You want the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Study Christ. You want the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God? Look no further than Jesus Christ. And by this, I don't mean just read the gospel accounts. Christ is throughout all of it. It says in Luke 24, when remember Christ on the road to Emmaus with his disciples right there, it says, In the beginning of Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the thing, things concerning himself. Guess what they didn't have? They didn't have the gospel accounts. From Moses, which is the law, and prophets, so it sums up the whole Old Covenant, the whole, whole Old Testament. He, he, it sums it up. It says all the scriptures were concerning himself. He doesn't just appear in Matthew through John. He's in Genesis as the Creator. It says also in Colossians 1.16, For by Him all things were created. By Christ all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And then in the very next verse it says, In Him all things consist. All things are held together. Through who? Christ. He's in Exodus as the one sending forth the plagues. He's in Exodus as the one leading his people through the wilderness and as the Passover lamb. He's in Leviticus as the true high priest, the mercy seat, and the sacrifice. He's in Numbers as the bronze serpent being lifted up in the wilderness for the healing of his people. He's in Deuteronomy as the coming prophet who we should listen to. He's in the Psalms as our song day and night, as the son of the king to whom the ends of the earth have been given to, and as the one who says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's in the Proverbs as our wisdom. 
He's in Ecclesiastes as the meaning of life. He's in the songs of Solomon as a faithful husband to his bride. He's in Daniel as the fourth one in the fiery furnace and as the son of man. And of course, we could keep going. But the point is, Jesus is there. Where are you reading in your Bible? Jesus is there. Like Charles Spurgeon said, from every text in the Bible, there's a road to Jesus Christ. He is the pearl of great price. And just like all texts lead to Him, all of our theology should lead to Him. If you have a theology that at the end exalts or points to man, throw it in the trash. All of our wisdom and knowledge comes from Him. So let's look at one more portion of Scripture before we move on here. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 23. Actually, let's start at verse 22. 1 Corinthians 1.22. It says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confine to confound the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised have God chosen yea and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his sight or in his presence but of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written he that glories let him glory in the Lord. He is our wisdom. Preaching Christ and Christ crucified is foolishness to the world. But it's the wisdom of God. Would you rather have the wisdom of this world, which will pass away, or the wisdom of God, which is eternal? If you want the wisdom of God, study Christ. So I'm going to go back here to Romans 11. And to our third point, what this does not mean. And it says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. So what does this not mean? It says His judgments are unsearchable and His ways are past finding out. Does that mean that we can never know? I hear some say, well, we, can, we can't really know. Or in discussing some deep doctrine and with somebody who doesn't agree with you, sometimes they say, well, nobody can know this. Stop trying to put God in a box. First, I don't think anybody is trying to put God in a box. But also, if God has said something about himself, we ought to believe it. And to put it this way, and I say this reverently, if God put himself in a certain box, we ought not to try to take him out of it. So what can we learn from this? If God has revealed it in His Word, you can, in fact, know it. Turn with me back to Deuteronomy. In verse, or chapter 29. In verse 29. 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. This is, this is almost like this popular question that gets 
ask a lot. What's God's will for my life? You know, a lot of people actually ask that question. It's a lot of typically younger people. And I think they ask, they ask it out of good. They, they, they want to do what God has called them to do. But they typically ask like we're supposed to answer something that's not found in Scripture. Like we would know the secret things of God. God's will for your life, young person, might be that after you leave this church service, that tonight you would die in your sleep. I don't know that. Nobody knows that, right? What's God's will for my life? I don't know His secret will. The secret things belong unto the Lord. However, what is revealed, it says, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. What are the things revealed? It's the Word of God. He has revealed it to us, and it's for us. It belongs to us. That's what it says. It says it belongs to us. We can know it. And you often hear the opposite, especially sometimes you get into some eschatological discussions and somebody says, well, nobody can know. I actually heard somebody say, I don't think God's revealed this, like the correct eschatology to anybody. Like, well, he literally has in his word. Just because we can't agree on it doesn't mean that it's not been revealed. God didn't say nobody can know. He said what has been revealed belongs to us and our children, so we can know. What kind of doubt is it to say that we can't know when it comes to the Word of God? That, to me, that never advances your, your, your argument or your stance. We just can't know. It's almost like the, the, the atheist argument that we, just, we, can, we can never know anything. And it's like, well, do you know that? That we can never know anything? Because if you know that, then you can know something, and therefore your argument's defeated. Have you guys heard of the... I, I put this in my text, and I was like, I know I'm going to mess this word up, and I can say it, but it's perspicuity of Scripture. It just means clarity of Scripture. It's something that we as Reformed folks would hold to. The clarity of Scripture, the perspicuity of Scripture. It means... That the scriptures are clear and understandable. If we don't understand something, we can rest assured that the scriptures is not at fault. But the gray matter between our ears is the problem. Maybe there's more study for you to do. Maybe there's more learning before it becomes clear. But we ought not act like we can't know the scriptures. Peter says uh, some of the writings by Paul... In 2 Peter 3, he says, As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of, those, of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as rest like wrestle, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. The unlearned and unstable wrestle out of context, Verses to their own destruction. That's what he's saying there. But he does say, he says, some of the things are hard to be understood. So, yes, there may be some scriptures that are hard to understand because we need to dive deeper. However, what Peter did not say is that they cannot be understood. He doesn't say some of the things that Paul wrote are impossible to understand. He says they're hard to be understood. And just like anything else is hard to, to understand, What's our answer to that? Study harder. Learn more. Let me give you a modern day application of this. And we kind of just went through this in our household. Algebra is hard to understand. Right, Sophia? Some say it's useless to understand. I disagree with that, but one thing's for sure. If you hand me an algebra book right now and open up to the last page and that last set of problems and ask me to figure it out, I would probably be lost. I wouldn't understand the question. I wouldn't know how to solve it. I would be lost. However, if I started on page one and worked my way all the way through the book, you hand me that last set of problems again and I'll know how to figure it out. I say this happened in our house because it was about halfway through that. It was at the very end of the algebra book. Daddy, can you help me figure this out? I'm like, this is like Chinese to me. 
But you've went through the last five chapters. You should be able to figure it out because of what you've learned coming up to this. And, but that's, that's how some of the things are in the Word of God, right? I'm not saying they're like algebra. I'm just saying that they're not, that they are impossible to understand. We just need to start back on page one and work our way through this. We need to learn more to be able to understand. So let me close this with, this, with the, these verses here. Turn, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, But as it is written, I had not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Y'all heard that verse before, right? And people will use that verse to say, well, we don't know what's coming after this. Look at verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. I had not seen nor ear heard, but the Spirit has revealed them to us. How shall we know the deep things of God? By the Spirit. The Spirit must reveal them to us. So often, we just go to the Scriptures out of habit or obligation and just read, right? I'm not knocking on this, but I can never, I can never do a through the, year, through the Bible in a year program. I've never been able to do it. I make it to Genesis chapter 4, and then all of a sudden I'm in like Matthew chapter 7. And I'm like, how did I end up here? Oh, because this popped up in Genesis chapter 4. It made my mind go over here, and then my mind went over here and over here, and then, and then I get lost. So I can never do it. I wasn't, God did not program me that way. But sometimes if you do those things, you probably just go, oh, I've got to read this today. And you just read it. And how often, I, can, I know this, how often have I read a whole page of Scripture and not one word did I even, like, go between my ears. I'm thinking about something else. My mind is on something else that's going on in my life as I'm reading it. None of it soaked in. And then I had to actually go back and read it again. And sometimes read it again and read it again. But we go, we go to the Scriptures out of habit or obligation and just read. We don't take the time to call upon the Lord for understanding, for wisdom and knowledge and discerning His Word. We ought not to do that. We must open this book with a spirit of humility and fear. Asking God, maybe sometimes begging God to reveal His Word to us. Yes, it's clear. Yes, it's understandable. But man in his flesh murkies the water. When we dive in in our flesh, our flesh dirties up the water. We must go in the Spirit and rely on Him to reveal to us the deep things of God. He will reveal them in His timing, but until then, His ways are past finding out. They are past finding out unless He reveals them. And when He does, we ought to bow the knee in humble submission because it may not be what we already presupposed it to be. It may be the exact opposite of what we always thought. I'm sure every single person in here can say yes and amen to some certain doctrine in Scripture that when it was first revealed to you, you thought there's, there's no way it can be this way because nobody I know agrees with this. It's the opposite of what we always thought. But guess what? God is true. And all men are liars. We can be wrong. But the Word of God cannot be. So we can rest in it knowing every word of God is pure, and we can hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against Him. Amen? Let's move into our application here. The call to faith and repentance to unbelievers always. Almost nothing in this message would apply to you. The whole message. 
nothing would apply to you. You cannot plunge deep into the Word of God and gain wisdom and knowledge. You can sit and you can read it every single day, all day, and unless God reveals Himself to you, it's all just gibberish. You may like some of the stories. You may even like some of the doctrines. But you'll never truly understand apart from Jesus Christ. If you don't have Christ... The Bible is just another book to you. If you are dead in your sins, you have no wisdom and knowledge of God. You must be born again to see the kingdom. That's what Jesus says. You can't even see it, let alone enter into the kingdom. The Spirit makes you born again, and He uses the gospel message to do so. So that's what you need. You need the gospel and to be born again. You need to believe upon the one who lived a righteous life and kept the whole law that you couldn't keep. You need to see the one who was crucified for the sins of his people. You need to know and believe upon the one who was resurrected from the grave and ascended to the right hand of his Father. That's where the journey starts. Without knowing him, you know nothing. Jesus actually said, without me, you can do nothing. You're like, well, that's not true. Yes, it is. In Him all things are held together. You can't even think a thought right now as an unbeliever without Jesus Christ allowing you to do so. Because He can cut you off today. So look upon Him this morning. Believe upon Him this morning. Repent of your sins and join us in digging in deep to God's Word. And to us believers here this morning... You know that God's Word never says that you can't know it. We, already, we just went through that in our doctrinal portion. God never tells us that these things about Him and His, His Word are impossible for us to know. They are impossible unless we have the Spirit, but we as believers do have the Spirit. So we can know them, and we can have confidence in knowing them, and we need not to shy away from them. But we can be wrong, right? Yes, we can be wrong. But God's Word cannot be wrong. And if it's a very clear portion of Scripture, say, like, I believe Romans 9 is very clear. You can be bold about believing what it says. A child could read Romans 9 and understand it. We ought to believe... That we can, in fact, know every verse in the Bible. Like, now you sounded prideful. That's what God said. The things that are revealed belong to us. If He's revealed it, we can know it. And maybe we don't know every single verse off the top of our head. But I do think, if you ask me on any given verse, I can look it up, study it, and come to a conclusion on its meaning. It's not that, that any, any given verse of the Bible is... is a, apart from our knowing. We can never know it. We can. It's not hidden. And I think going verse by verse through, the, through this book somewhat has displayed that. There have been many verses in Romans that I knew were coming up. When I'm preaching, I'm like, this, this verse, chapter 11 was actually one. I was kind of like, chapter 11 is coming up. I'm a little nervous about chapter 11. kind of theory going up to it. However, on the week that I sit down and I start exegeting His Word, the verses become clear. As I look forward, I see this and I'm like, this is a scary verse coming up. But then when you sit down, you actually start looking at the languages. You start cross-referencing other verses. You start reading some of the old pastors of old. And you're like, it actually is very clear. The verses become clear. Like I said earlier, it may not have been because I'm so smart that I figured it out. And I say the same to you. You can know every, you could know every, the meaning of every single verse. I, I don't know if I've ever met anybody that did that, but God's revealed it to us. It belongs to us. And it's not because you're so smart. Sometimes, you know, we have a wealth of knowledge by past pastors and Bible commentators. 
I may have been lost going through Romans sometimes if, if, if God wouldn't have given us men like John Gill or John Calvin or Jonathan Edwards or Charles Spurgeon or Martin Lloyd-Jones or Matthew Henry. However, He's given them to the church. He's given to us. These men's minds have been given to us. And we ought to take full advantage of men of the past centuries who mind, whose minds were saturated in the Word of God. You know, that's one of the things that we, I think we should really learn here as Americans is, say, take a guy like John Gill. He didn't have television. He didn't have Netflix. He didn't have video games. He read God's Word. He stayed in God's Word. I think Edwards was uh, 18 hours a day. Something crazy like that. How often are we in it? Well, Luther just said, you know, he had to wake up so early, like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, so he can get in three hours of prayer. That way he can make sure he gets all his stuff done for the day. How often do we do that? These men were sold out for God's Word. I think it would be wise for us to read them. They are tools at our disposal that God has given to His church and we ought not waste them. Charles Spurgeon, another quote from him, he said, He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. So as you go deep diving into God's Word, you're not alone. You can take past brothers in the faith and they'll help you to understand but what happens when they contradict each other? <laughs> what happens when I come across that verse and John Gill says this and John Calvin says this and it's a contradiction? Well, first, they're, they're men still. But then you might have to use some discernment. But even in that, you're not alone, right? God has given us a spirit who is the best teacher, who is never wrong. So study hard, brethren. Keep digging into His Word, not just as a chore, but for enjoyment. Not just because I must finish this Bible reading program, but because I hunger and thirst after it. Because I don't feel complete without knowing more. God is gracious and patient with us in our learning, but we must learn. You know, that's what it actually means, the word disciple. When it says go forth into all the world and make disciples, the word for the disciple is the word math, mathetes, from which we get our word math. But it means a learner. That's what you are. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ Jesus today, and you would call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are a learner of Jesus Christ. So strive to learn more. Let's move on to our call to war. Because we can know the Scriptures, and the Scriptures are where we find out about eternal life, we ought to have boldness to declare them. We ought to not shy away from hard texts, but be ready to engage them. We ought to be out in the marketplace preaching them forth. God says in His Word that His Word will not return void. It changed your life. So go proclaim it and watch God change other lives. We as a church just had this opportunity over the past weekend to do this for His glory. And you know, I actually had a question I never had from somebody on Friday out there. Now you might find this crazy, but a girl come walking up. I think Jamie was actually preaching. A girl come walking up and said, how do I know if I'm going to heaven? And she was sincere. She literally was sincere. Her friend that was with her was not. She was kind of like, I, I don't even want to like, listen to you. But she, got to, she still got to hear the gospel. But she came up and said, how do I know I was go if I'm going to heaven? And I was actually obviously pleased to answer that question. And after giving them the gospel as clear as I could, I asked the girl if she had a Bible. And she said no. So then I yelled for Jason. He was over in the other way because typically we have a bunch of Bibles with us that we give away. But we didn't. So I, I just assumed we had Bibles. I was like, Jason, we got a Bible. Jason had his Bible with him. 
And he gave it to her. His personal Bible, it had his highlights in it. I flipped through it, it had the highlights in it, his underlines, his notes. So hopefully he didn't have no heretical notes in there. But here's why I bring this up. And I told Jason this. We both have God's word hid in our hearts. She didn't. We also probably both have multiple different personal Bibles that we can use. I, let her, I bring two every Sunday. This girl had none. When I actually I said, do you have a Bible? She said, no. And I called for Jason and then Jason held up his personal Bible. was like, this is only one. And the other girl that didn't care was like, don't worry about it. She probably has one. I'm like, she literally just said that she did not have a Bible. But what better could we give her? There's nothing in my pockets or anything that I could have gave her that would have been better than what was given to her that day. She already heard the gospel, and I actually prayed with her, and I literally prayed, God, please break her stony heart and give her faith and repentance. Her friend said, I'm not going to pray with you guys. But now she got to leave with the Bible, too. We ought to always be ready for this, right? When we walk out here today, well, we just found out they're going to start playing movies too. So you might walk out there and run into 100 people coming in the doors. And what happens is they say, oh, you guys are coming from the church? Oh, do you have a Bible I can have? We ought to always be ready to give the gospel and need be to give away our favorite Bible to someone who doesn't have one. Why? Because that's where the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God are found. And they need it. The reality is, though, that we don't do this enough. That we make excuses. Jason literally could have said, bro, this is my only Bible. I, I'm sorry. But that ought not be our attitude. If we're real, then we ought to be ready and willing to do whatever it takes to see one soul saved. I asked this the other week, but are you ready and willing? Or is this life too important to you? As an ambassador of Christ, I call each and every one of us to be ready and willing to lay down our lives for the gospel's sake on a daily basis. Now the opportunity might not present itself, but if you're ready and willing, they more often they will more often than not. So I pray that as His church, as His people, that we are bold in the proclamation of the truth to a world that knows nothing of it. People don't learn God's truth by osmosis. We must preach it and preach it boldly. So I pray that we do that here at Faith Reformed. And know this, you won't be alone. Others here are also ready and willing to help, to go out with you, to answer your questions, to help prepare you for it. So you need not to fear, especially since one who is wiser than us all has called us to it and prepares us for it. And He can give you the words to speak for the advancement of His kingdom and the glory of His name. Amen.